time for Lickin' On Lending. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Lickin' On Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. Now here's your host of Lickin' On Lending, David Lickin'. Let's begin. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you joining us. I can't believe how fast summer is happening quickly, and it's a hot one across parts of the country. We're so glad to have you joining us. This is David Lickin, and you're joining the Lickin' on Lending Podcast. It's Monday, June 28th. This podcast is created by mortgage professionals. It is for mortgage professionals. We're so grateful to have you as our listener. Again, as we say each week, our commitment to you is to bring you timely information in an audio format that you can listen to anytime and anywhere. And man, do we have some timely information on today's podcast. We've got Justin Demodia joining us, Vice President of Sales at Lenders One. Actually, he's now the president. He runs everything now. We're so excited to have Justin. Anyway, we're going to be talking about the upcoming conference, some of the things that are going on at Lenders One, but we're going to talk about the, the upcoming summer conference and some of the initiatives they have going on, what's on their radar. This new economic environment is bringing in some new perspective and challenges. So Justin Demodia will be on. And then also a big shout out to Kim Schubert. As soon SCOTUS, the Supreme Court of the United States, issued the ruling on the director of FHFA. My phone blew up and Kim Schubert left the way. Kim Schubert is with Freddie Mac. She's been a longtime listener and a supporter of our podcast. Really appreciate you, Kim. She brought she says, Are you going to have Mitch Kiter come on? And so, yes, he was dialing Mitch uh, about that. And so, we have recorded an interview with Mitch Kiter about the recent Supreme Court ruling. And you're going to want to listen to that podcast interview as well. So we got a double hitter today. As a result, we're going to shorten up the first part of the podcast so we can fit it all in. So stay tuned all the way through the through the whole podcast. I want to say a special thank you to the Industry Syndicate. We're a part of the Industry Syndicate. There's so many, many great podcasts you can listen to. Go over to industrysyndicate.com and check them out. Also, Don Layton was the former president of Freddie Mac, and he published an FHFA report on the credit risk transfer and then the position that Calabria was taking on this. And it was published on May 28th, and then the ruling came out. So we're very encouraged. But I published that article in there as well as the newsletter from um, Mitch Kider's firm, the WBK firm, we published his newsletter and the show notes, and we're going to be expounding on that in the Hot Topic segment. So stay tuned all the way through this podcast. We want to say a special thank you to our sponsors, the Mortgage Bankers Association of America. Grateful for the, our partnership with them. Join the MBA if you're not already a member, but you do have the opportunity to have your voice heard through the MBA. Even though you're not a member, you should be, but you could do so through the Mortgage Action Alliance application. I encourage you to go to the Play Store for the app Mortgage Action Alliance and have your voice heard. We need to have all our voices heard, and they do a great job of bringing this information to us. Also, Finastra, the Fusion Mortgage Bot Solution, they do a great job with a leading point of sale technology, full LOS. I encourage you to check them out, and all as well as the interview we did with Dan Putney back in January. Always some great information. We talked about a survey they did. You'll find that interesting. Also, we have Lenders One as a sponsor, and we got today Justin Demolia. Also, we have the Mortgage Collaborative as a sponsor. Thrilled about these two. One, one of the things I love about these two co-ops, so we're members of both. I just love what these two do about connecting lenders with fellow members, and they bring them together. And we're going to hear about what Lenders One 
perspective is and what's going on. So very excited to have Justin later on the podcast. Also, Community Mortgage Lenders of America, another association that works with independent mortgage bankers, having their voice heard on the Hill, as well as Incelerate. We had Josh Friend on last week. Another great interview with lots of information for those looking to go consumer direct. But it's not just consumer direct. It's working with consumers in how you connect with them in an intelligent way. Check out last week's interview. Then also, KnowledgeCoop, great learning management system, as well as Mobility MMI. Had a conversation with Ben Turling. Going to be scheduling him for an interview here, talking about some of the things that their technology does that allows you to connect with realtors. Then also, going to get Dale Larson on of Modex, another father-son team that does a great job of helping you on the recruiting, providing you technology and more business intelligence into who's doing what out there. So we have a, a license with both Mobility MMI as well as Modex, and we use both of them. Encourage you to consider doing so as well. Also, a special thank you to Rob, Les, Alan, and Matt for their contributions each and every week. Part. So anyway, Mitch Kiter interview is coming up in just a bit. I want to give a shout out to Kim Schubert, Freddie Mac again, for being the first on the list of many to make me aware of the Supreme Court ruling. And I reached out immediately to Mitch. We had a number of our listeners say, could you get Mitch on? I'd love to get his perspective. So without further ado, let's get into the interview that I recorded on past Friday with Mitch Kider. Listeners, I'm excited to have back on the podcast someone that really doesn't need an introduction. He's an icon in our industry, Mitch Kider, who is the managing partner of WBK. Mitch, thank you so much for coming on and spending a few minutes with me today. Hey, it's my pleasure, Dave. Good to be here with you. You bet. I'm calling and asking you to come back on the microphone to talk about your newsletter that you published on June 23rd, as soon as the U.S. Supreme Court, SCOTUS, announced the ruling providing that Calabria, the director of FHFA, is unconstitutional. I thought your article was well-written. I have some questions on that article. And I want to get into that. But as we start this topic off, any opening comments? You have an attorney, you always got to give you opening comments. So what's your thoughts on this broadly? Well, my thoughts broadly are a lot of people seem to be shocked by the Supreme Court's ruling, but I think it was actually fully expected. It follows on the heels of the SELA case about a year ago in which the Supreme Court held that the structure of the CFPB was unconstitutional with one director that had been only removable for cause and for no other reason. And the court held that that violated the separation of powers, that usurped the executive branch and the president's authority. And I think that decision was the correct decision. And there's really no distinction here with the FHFA director. So I'm not surprised by the result at all. I think that it's taken a while to get here. But I think it was bound to be. In your newsletter, you start talking about in the second paragraph, this will have significant implications for the GSEs. That leaped off the page. If you could expound on what you mean, this will have significant implications. Let's start with this. Director Calabria pushed very hard to get to the point where both Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac could come out of conservatorship and be privatized. So the first significant implication is that's not going to happen anytime soon. And it's not going to happen for years, quite frankly. Uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, the GSEs as they're known, are more and more governmental entities. And I think as a result of this decision, it's going to move more in that particular direction. I think that the president now has the ability to utilize Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac 
to set out and further his housing goals for the country. And I think that is very, very significant. Significant in a good way for the mortgage industry? I would assume so, based on, if you look at Don Layton's article that he published on May 28th, as the article is published in the Joint Center for Housing Studies, listeners, I have posted a link to that article in our show notes. So as you listen to this, you can go read it. That article seemed to be pretty solid from where Don stands on this. And it's well known. The industry has been really frustrated with Calabria for some time. So this seems like it's good for us, but expound on that. What could be some unintended consequences? Are you anticipating that? Because you being a good litigator, you are a strategist at the core and you are looking at, well, this looks good now, but is there anything in this that you're saying, hmm, this could open up more litigation, I'm assuming? Well, let's start along these particular lines. I think this looks good now because it promotes stability. And for as broken as our housing finance system may be in some ways, it actually works. And it works well. And it works better than any point else. And Fannie and Freddie are right at the heart and right at the center of that. So good along those particular lines. It will be business as usual, although there will be much more emphasis on affordable housing. And there will be many more protections and parameters set out to ensure fair and equitable lending and fair and equitable lending practices. And is that ultimately good for us? Yes, that's absolutely. All of those things are good for the country itself. The downside, in all honesty, is as Fannie and Freddie are not privatized, as they remain in government conservatorship, they really do act effectively as a governmental entity. And on a long-term basis, that's not necessarily a good thing. In fact, I don't think that's a good thing on a long-term basis. I think you need the ingenuity. You need the ability to be flexible and malleable, especially in the manner in which you're dealing with the economy and the housing market itself. And I think that private entities find that. I think the more we fall into the government controlling Fannie and Freddie and effectively controlling our housing market as a result of that, the further from what's really happening out there we get. I think you need privatization ultimately. And the problem is there's no political will to get there. Well, this brings up an interesting question. You're celebrated and the only individual that successfully sued CFPB on behalf of PHH. Is the fact that something has now been ruled against FHFA director, is there any chance that this could have any implications or cast a shadow over the CFPB director, which had a similar five-year term? I was just wondering about that. So it's already happened in the CELA lawsuit a year ago. The Supreme Court ruled on that very issue and ruled that, in fact, the structure of the CFPB was unconstitutional for the exact same reasons. And so now that structure has a single director, and that single director is removable by the president with or without cause. So do I think that structure is going to change? No, I don't think this case really is going to have any implications on the CFPB and the structure that's there. And in fact, I think it's just going to follow the CFPB. What would have been better, and I think what was really sought by those people that challenge independent agencies, since we know that our Constitution talks about three branches of government and not a fourth branch of government being these independent agencies, what would have been better is a commission or something along those particular lines, a bipartisan commission as we have with the FTC and the SEC and other uh, government agencies as well. But there's nothing about this case 
that pushes us in that particular direction for either FHFA or the CFPB. And my guess is it's just going to stay with a single director who is, in fact, going to be removed every time there's a change of administration. So this does get more politicized ideologies of whoever's in power is going to have an influence on that. So this enables the president's housing policy to be supported through the GSEs. That's exactly right. And let's face it, okay, when you're talking about FHFA, it had been politicized by any director that was there. It was politicized by Watt. It was politicized by Calabria. They got appointed based on their political ideologies by right. presidents that had the same ideology, and that goes on. What this does is it says it recognizes, hey, there's someone that was elected president of the United States, and he controls the executive branch, and you can't usurp his authority. It's a separation of powers issue. You can't say, no, you don't control this particular branch of the government. You have to have the ability to put your own person in there, remove someone at will. And that's what this case does. And sure. So now we're going to have, just as Calabria and Trump were somewhat on the same page, ideologically, and Calabria came out, he was with Vice President Pence prior to being moved into this particular position. Now you're going to have someone whose ideology follows that of President Biden and his administration, and his housing policies will be further as a result of that. You mentioned the second to the bottom paragraph in your letter that you said the court relied on recent decision. You just referenced that. Is that the case of CFPB that you referenced, or is there other sale law that's included in that? I wanted to get a clarification. That is the case in which the court ruled that the single director removable only for cause at the CFPB was unconstitutional. That's the case that we're referencing. All right. So that's the case you're referencing. It wasn't something broader than that. All right. Good. I wasn't familiar with that. At least that label. I knew we always refer to it as the CFPB ruling, but that is what you're referencing. Good. Listeners, I want to encourage you to read the fourth paragraph. It gets into the Recovery Act that created the FHFA. I don't want to get into that because most of our listeners are astute followers of the industry, very involved and understand. But for those of you, we have so many of you listeners out there that are coming into the industry for the first time. We're very fortunate to have you. We're very grateful to have you as a listener learning about the industry. I encourage you to, first of all, sign up in the show notes. We have a link of how you can sign up to Mitch Kiders and WBK's newsletter they publish on a weekly basis. So I encourage you, number one, sign up for the newsletter. Mitch, I'm assuming that we have your permission to publish that link so people can sign up. I think that's great. It's free. It's informative. I was just reading your most recent one, but especially on things like this, there's a lot of people commenting on it, but you are the gold standard when we really look at what are the implications uh, rather than sensationalization of it. I think you get to the heart of it. So let's get to the heart of this thing. You talk in here, the Supreme Court addressed four issues and you state what they are in this article. But for our listeners that may not have read this, or I want to entice them to come and read this, talk about those four issues that they addressed. So the first issue is whether or not the plaintiffs in this case, the party that in fact brought the case, they are shareholders in Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. That's what they are. And really what they wanted to challenge was the dividend policy sweeping Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac's profits putting it into treasury and only leaving a minimal amount of capital in those companies themselves. And these shareholders challenge that particular case. And so the first question the court has to address is whether they have a statutory claim under the Recovery Act. And what the court said over there was they don't, quite frankly, that the statute's pretty clear 
that in fact, what was done by way of a third amendment to dividends being paid out to the Treasury Department was proper from a statutory perspective. And the fact that the FHA director's position was unconstitutionally structured doesn't affect that. In fact, the statute would allow the dividend agreement that was entered into between FHFA and and Treasury Department. So that's the first issue there. The second issue is whether the shareholders actually have standing to challenge FHFA's structure as unconstitutional, and they certainly did. If they didn't have standing, the court would have just ruled that there was no standing that was available to them. In other words, they weren't the proper parties to bring a suit like this. But they're impacted by this. They're shareholders in Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, and FHFA is their regulator. And so they were the proper parties to bring this particular litigation. And the third issue is whether the agency's structure was unconstitutional. And that's something we talked about. Even though the shareholders had the ability, had standing to file the cases that they filed, because these were really two consolidated cases, even though they had the ability to file that, the court ultimately ruled on the merits and actually agreed with them on the constitutional issue and said, this is an unconstitutional structure. Again, because there are really three branches of government, and this is a single director that effectively is not answerable to anyone if, in fact, you can't remove him other than for cause. So they had standing, and they actually won on the constitutional issue. But in terms of the fourth issue, what remedy is appropriate if the structure is unconstitutional, the court followed the precedent that they set in last year's CFPB case, which I referred to as the CELA law case, because that was the firm that brought that particular lawsuit on its own behalf. And what the court said, the appropriate remedy here is just writing through the statute. So the appropriate remedy is if you have statutory authority for the uh, creation of the director of the FHFA, and it says that you can only be terminated for cause, they cross out that forecast, and he can be terminated at the will of the president. And that's what they did. It seems like this was not a win for the shareholders. It's a big loss for the shareholders, in all honesty. And I believe that this ends the litigation for the shareholders effectively. No court's going to revisit this particular issue and make a declaration that, in fact, the dividend formula that swept the money out of the GSEs and into Treasury instead of allowed it to stay in these companies for their capitalization purposes and for dividend purposes for their shareholder. Shareholders would hold up. So this kind of ends a very long saga that goes all the way back to 2012 in this particular matter. And this was not a win for the shareholders. I don't believe that the shareholders, even though they wanted a ruling that, in fact, this is unconstitutional structure, that isn't really what they were getting at. They wanted a ruling that this is an unconstitutional structure. And as a result of that, the agreements that were entered into and made, in fact, were void. And that didn't happen here. That didn't happen. I'll never forget a couple of times I've been on Fox Business and commenting about this. My phone would light up anytime I commented about Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. The shareholders are very loud out there. And so their voices are going to be silenced. There are a lot of big players, funds, private equity firms and others that made big bets on the privatization of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and this dividend being set aside to the Treasury Department. There are a lot of people that made big bets on that that stand to lose a fair amount of dollars. Yeah. Let's talk about the moving forward now. 
the mortgage bankers that are listening to this, reading this, reacting to this, dealing with this, planning their future in light of this, what would you say to them? I would say to them that FHFA and Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac go to the core of their business. They're very important entities. And I don't think that there are going to be dramatic changes in the manner in which they sell their loans and these loans are securitized or things along those particular lines. But the heart of the president's housing policy is around affordable housing and fair and equitable lending. And so the policies and procedures of Fannie Mae are going to place a great deal of emphasis in that particular arena. And that's what they need to be prepared for. And those are areas that they need to look at. What about liquidity? It seems like with this being inside of the federal government, staying within the federal government, liquidity should be more assured than if they're being spun off, I'm assuming, from a standpoint of liquidity and dependable liquidity. 2008, GSEs were in an awful lot of trouble and the government Mm -hmm. had to bail them out. And in all honesty, I think it was a good thing that the government stepped in and bailed them out because I think that the economic consequences to the United States and the world devastating Freddie Mac to go under. But a lot has changed since 2008. And Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac make an awful lot of money. Mm-hmm. And the liquidity that is going to be afforded to them is liquidity that's afforded to them by government allowances, basically. Okay. So are they stable? Sure, they're stable. They are effectively governmental entities right now. I understand they're GSEs, they're government-sponsored entities, but they're in conservatorship and they are effectively a tool of the government. And so liquidity is not really an issue for them. Yep. No longer. In fact, I wonder if it's no longer to be the GSEs. We're just going to have the GEs, government entities. Is What's the sponsorship part of it anymore? Yeah. I hope ultimately that's not going to be the case, Dave, but it will be for a number of years going forward. Do I think that another administration in years to come will, in fact, finally end this uh, conservatorship? I do. And this administration may end the conservatorship in three, four years. I have my doubts about that. And as I said before, there's no real political will to do it. It's working. Our mortgage market is working well, and there's no upside for a politician to make that change. How about when it comes to QM, innovative new products? Does this help that? The administration wants to push that. We're dealing with housing affordability. We're dealing with housing supply. This really doesn't have anything to do with that, or does it? Well, I mean, Fannie and Freddie will have their own underwriting standards and requirements for the purchase of these particular loans. They are effectively QM loans. The non-QM market that will develop will develop outside of Fannie and Freddie, and it's been developing over the last couple of years. And I think that market, in light of this decision and Fannie and Freddie staying where they are, I actually think that the non-QM market will remain relatively stable. I don't want to predict massive growth in that particular market because it's pretty easy to stay within the lines and deal with Fannie and Freddie and sell them loans that fit their parameter. As we wrap this up, got to go over to CFPB and state auditors, how the states are playing in. We're seeing more aggressive roles and by the states and auditing companies. And any 
thoughts as we wrap this up and sharing wisdom? What should lenders be more concerned about CFPB? And we hear about their expansion, but also the states. We're hearing quite a number of our clients, and I'm sure you're hearing it as well, is the states are becoming much more of a, seems to be more of a threat. Sure. Well, I'm concerned about them both, but I will tell you, and I've had these conversations with officials at the CFPB. The CFPB's focus today is fair and equitable lending and COVID-19, which translates to servicing and how consumers are going to be treated, those consumers that have suffered economic consequences as a result of COVID-19, ones that are coming out of forbearance and things along those particular lines. And from a regulatory perspective, almost all of their energy is being spent in these particular areas. And I understand their desire to stay on top of those two particular issues. So I don't think you're going to see a lot of guidance on RESPA, on loan originator compensation and things of that sort. Will you see enforcement? Yes, you will. But enforcement comes around when the CFPB learns of a problem, either through an examination or through a complaint or something else along those lines. I think while the CFPB will continue to focus heavily on fair lending and on COVID-19, I think many states are acting effectively as an arm of the CFPB. They are the enforcers right now. They are auditing for not just their state law requirements, but they're auditing for these federal law requirements as well. And they're very aggressive. Some are in their interpretations. And they're very aggressive in enforcement. And I think that's the dynamic that we're going to see going forward for quite some time. Well, folks, listeners, if you're not familiar with the WBK firm, I encourage you to become familiar. Get signed up for the newsletters. These are valuable. It's must-reads for me and my uh, group of consultants that I work with. We find these to be kind of the gold standards of what's being reviewed. So go to our website, get signed up for the newsletter, and also the links, specifically the newsletter that we're talking about in this podcast is there as well. So I encourage our listeners to get a hold of you. What's the best way for our listeners that may not know of you? I can't imagine that, but that want to get a hold of you and work with your firm. What's the best way to do so, Mitch? Just email me, Kiter, K-I-D-E-R, at thewbkfirm.com. You'll be so glad. Mitch is the go-to firm for our consulting firm that we recommend, and we're so grateful for it. Mitch, thanks so much for taking time out of a very busy schedule to join us and give our listeners an update on this latest SCOTUS ruling. Thank you. My pleasure, Dave. Thank you. Ah, let's get Alice Alvey in here for some post-interview comments. Alice, I know you have to have a short stop here and get your thoughts on that interview. Yeah, it's great. Listening to Mitch is always just so informative and he explains things very clearly for for us lay folks. I think one of the things that jumped out at me that he referenced was the idea that now we're going to potentially have an FHFA director that switches with each administration. Right. Now, that's great if you get somebody reelected, and at least they're there for eight years. But does someone in that type of role, speaking broadly, really have a vision for the overall success of a company, right? And looking at the bottom line for shareholders, if they feel that their tenure is limited, And Mm -hmm. I think that's difficult. How is that person thinking? What are they trying to accomplish? And are they thinking very long-term for the success of the agency? So I think that's something we'll all be watching very closely. And it'll just take, as an industry, to keep them with that vision, regardless of how long they're in office. Yeah, he brought up a good point. I thought it unpoliticized anyway. I mean, the fact that we are now going to have a change of FHFA director. 
with every new president or administration comes in. I mean, that's to be anticipated. But again, I wonder if this is going to create more uncertainty. There's so much more mm-hmm. to this that I started thinking about after we conclude that interview as I went back and listened to it. So uncertainty is going to be one of those questions. What else we thought in this interview? I think that was the biggest thing. And I think mm-hmm. just that the shareholders right now are just going to have to rethink their positions. And is there any action that they want to take from here? Because this really did seem to put an end to any kind of recapture of some of the profits that have already been taken. But we'll see what happens going forward now to be able to look at, is there another solution for Fannie and Freddie besides being in the control of the government? And how do we try and still find a way through, it'll take now legislation to move them back to a little bit of where they were, where they can think a little more outside immediate short-term goals and and look at long-term goals. I think there's going to be a relaxing to a degree. One of the things I heard that leaped out to me was the focus is going to return to affordable housing. And I think that's the biggest challenge Mm -hmm. uh, that we have in America and the policies, whatever FHA, FAs, oversight of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac will be, it will be to encourage affordable housing. And that's going to bring in some, I think, potential interesting new loan programs, which would, I think, be good. We have the backstop of the federal government there. So it'd be interesting. Alice, thanks so much for joining me on some post comments. Appreciate you being here each and every week as you do, Alice. And thank you for hanging in here till the end, because I know how busy you are. Appreciate it. You're welcome. It was my pleasure. Great interview, Dave. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Next week, folks, we have Ben Turling joining us from Mobility Mortgage Market Intelligence. Really excited about this. They've got some tools there, but I'm not sure you, our, our listeners, are aware of, and you need to be, because it gives you a real strategic advantage on where to go and what markets to go into and with whom to do business, specifically realtors. So hopefully that teases you to be here next week. Not that any of you need any teasing. You want to be here? Anyway, we appreciate all of you that are regular listeners and for those who are sharing this podcast link to other members of your staff. Really appreciate that. I want to say a special thank you to our sponsors, Finastra, CMLA, as well as Lenders One, Accelerate, Mobility, MMI, Modex, the MBA, Knowledge Coop, and the Mortgage Collaborative. So thrilled to have you all. Have a great week, everyone. Look forward to having you back here. You've been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week, and thanks for listening.